Alrighty, back again for another Cash Medi podcast. Before we get going, let's start with the sponsor from La Jolla Chevron. When in La Jolla, don't forget to visit La Jolla Chevron, an extra mile convenience store at 7475 La Jolla Boulevard, La Jolla, California. Tonight I'm joined by Mad Friars Kevin Charity. Kevin, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good, good. Good to you. Good for you to or thanks for coming on. Um I wanted to bring you on tonight, you know, because we got a bunch of Padres, you know, guys down in the farm system that are coming up, and some of these people are seeing them for the first time, and I just wanted to get your thoughts, because I know you and others at Mad Friars, you know, have been watching them for years, and um, I just want to get your thoughts, you know, kind of on the direction of the team right now. So what what would it, what does it cost for everyone uh, to subscribe to Mad Friars, or tell us about that? Um, yeah, so... Leave subscriptions are forty dollars for a year, four ninety five a month. Um, so everything that you that people subscribe and put in goes into us having the ability to basically go on tour. Um, John is going to be in Tri City. This I think he's going to be there tomorrow or Wednesday or something. So he'll be there probably for three or four days. And you know we're contemplating sending myself out to the Arizona League. Um, and dealing with that heat there, so um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know we're and obviously you know the goal is to get up to Lake Elsinore a few more times and and do all that stuff. But yeah, we're just trying to give people as much information, as much content as we possibly can without having to you know give you actually you know we're giving firsthand reporting, not necessarily a whole bunch of opinion pieces or other filler. You know, we try to give interviews and content so. That's always the goal. Yeah, all right. And you guys do a great job. So I, su- um, I suggest those go out there, subscribe if you haven't. Uh, it's good stuff. They have good interviews. Um, you know, they, they watch all the games and they give, you know, I think they do a good job over there. Um, let's talk about, you know, some of these guys that have come up and then and then we'll get into some of the minor league players. But let's start with the Luis Urias. Are you excited to, like, see him now or do you think – you know, like, what do you think of the plan that the Padres had? Like, because I know a lot of people on Padre Twitter feel like he should have been up a long time ago. Do you think they dealt with him, you know, the right way? Or do you think that he should have been up earlier? It's hard to say, to be honest, because they've always been kind of vague in terms of what he was actually working on. I think there was some assumption that the leg kick became kind of too pronounced and it was inhibiting his ability to make contact, which... You know, going back to like 2016 when he was in Elsinore, or yeah, 16, um, he was hitting like, you know, he struck out like six or seven percent of his plate appearances or something crazy low like that. And so I feel like that's ultimately what the scanner reports at that time said is this guy's going to win a batting title. Um, going back to then, I remember talking to Baseball America and they basically said there's three or four guys in the entire minor leagues at that point in time um, that had potential to have an 80 hit tool and he was one of them Vlad Guerrero was one of the other ones and I don't remember who the other two guys were but um kind of fast forwarding you know he's kind of started to hit for more power um whether that was an adjustment he made on his own or was done by the organization um that's not entirely you know nobody's really gone on the record and said this is specifically what he's working on um you know to be honest I think what I always felt that they were looking for was more more plate discipline, less strikeouts, um, and you know he's he's always been a guy that's, that's done a good job of getting on base and drawing walks and whatnot. Um, so I, 
I really don't honestly know what they were you know, working on with him. Now, it's kind of interesting because he's slumped a little bit the last couple of months. The first two months he was down there, he was slugging like 800 and, you know, obviously wasn't sustainable. But over the last couple of months, you know, he's been basically league average. Um, so the timing of it in terms of production-wise, I don't think it was ever based on production given that's when he was promoted. Um, I think they've probably maybe seen him make an adjustment and it's something that you or I are, you know, I certainly, you know, I'll speak for myself. I, maybe I don't have the ability to watch him in game and see what he's working on, what he's doing. But I think there's some type of an adjustment or something that the organization saw that said he was ready. Um, what that is, I, I think it probably has something to do something with mechanics with either the leg kick or just the fact that he's, you know, been a little bit more, um, he's been making more solid contact recently. But it's honestly like it's, you know, I'd like to give a better answer, but it's everything I feel like I have right now is kind of speculative. No, that's a good answer. I mean, yeah, like you were saying, um, it is kind of weird that he was kind of hot like a month ago and they didn't bring him up. And then he had like a little injury, a couple, I don't know, like less than a, or a week ago. And then he played like a yeah. couple games and then he got brought up. So it wasn't necessarily the production. It was something else. Maybe they just felt he was ready. I don't know. The first, first game he came back up, I mean, his – I don't know what it was, three or four at-bats. To me, he just looked a lot more comfortable than when he was previously up in the, earlier in the season. Earlier in the season, he just looked overmatched. When yeah, he, and if you go back to the spring, like he did not really have a good spring at all. Like he, he only hit like about 220, yeah. uh, something like that. So it wasn't like he had a, a tore up the spring and, and just got set down. I think a lot of it is you saw at the beginning of June, or maybe it's the beginning of May into June, where Ian Kinsler got kind of hot and was, was playing well and was hitting. And I think that, you know, obviously if, if, Kin, if Kinsler is playing well, you know, I don't think that they necessarily want to bring Urias up to, like, sit behind him. So I think right now right. he's kind of gone into a slump and Greg Garcia has kind of settled in as a utility guy. I think it makes more sense to do it now yeah. at the expense of Josh Naylor's roster spot. But, you know, yeah. it's neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, as far as Kinsler goes, yeah, he just didn't, he didn't do it. So I think they're... You know, just saying, screw it. I mean, Urias is probably ready, and Kinsler just obviously isn't cutting it, so let's just go with him. And the one thing I will say on Urias that I think has improved, at least from the first time when I started watching him, I started watching him when he was in double-A, and like you were saying, he was you know spraying the ball, and he was back control, wasn't striking out in double-A. It's kind of a different approach that he has in triple-A, but when he was in double-A, he did not have the range and the defense that he has now. I, at least I didn't feel like he does. And now, I mean, it looks like he can even play shortstop if they wanted him to. You know, his defense is really yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, John saw him out in El Paso. I think he was there less than a month ago and said it's the best he's ever looked at shortstop. I think the thing we've been hearing in the you know from the organization and people within the organization for the last couple of years is that, hey, you know, in a pinch, two days a week, maybe one day a week, you know, if he slides over there, if Tatis needs a day off, something like that, that was kind of like what it seemed like his ability to play shortstop is. But now I think a lot of people think that, you know, he can at least go over there and play, you know, an adequate shortstop. I don't know if he's going to be a gold lover necessarily, but I mean, he's got a good enough, he's got the arm for it. He does look a little bit quicker from what I've seen. I think, you know, obviously with a trade season coming up, I mean, if he can play shortstop, his, his, his value, I think rises exponentially. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree on that. Um, so let's go to Morahan. Morahan came in yesterday, pitched two and a third innings. You know, he looked pretty good, but um I was I was shocked that he got p- called up. The other guys I was I wasn't shocked, but as far as him, you know, I think he only had 
36 innings or something in the in double a and he's a little erratic you know at times he at times he looks great and you're like oh that's gonna be a number one number two starter and then at times it's you know he's kind of i don't want to say he's immature but he doesn't have like the composure like he's only fucking 20 years old so it's you know it's hard for me to get on him or something he just doesn't look as poised out there as some of the other pitchers especially the ones that have come up you know recently like you know, like Paddock or something, and Paddock's 23, and this kid's 20, so you can't really expect that. I, but that's just the reason why I was shocked that he came up. What do you What do you think of him coming up? Um, I was a little surprised by it, too. I, I think you could kind of see that writing on the wall a little bit, um, just because they've... It's, it's a point I made um, earlier today um, when I was doing another interview, but um, I, you could see them grooming him and... Baez for this role because he, he started out the year in his first two outings in double A in Amarillo and got shelled and was, you know, at a, at a normal starter's workload. I think he worked four innings in one start or five innings in another, something like that. And then he had that shoulder injury where they made it sound like it was more precautionary than anything. And then they brought him back and he's just been doing two innings here, two innings there. Um, the last four outings he's had, you know, just kind of looking at it, you know, he's given up only one hit. Yeah. Over his last eight innings, uh, with one walk and eight strikeouts. Yeah. So I think when you look at the, that body of work, I think the way they're going to use him going forward, and it seems like what they're going to do with him and Bias is both of them are on a, every four day schedule during two innings, roughly. Um, you know, probably 30, 40, you know, 40, 35, 40, 45 pitches max. Um, you know, I don't know if that's obviously, I don't think they paid $22 million essentially for him to, for him to be an opener for the rest of his career, but I think. You know, I mean, that strategy worked beautifully yesterday when they, you know, get two in a third out of him and Quantrill comes in and just ends up, like, slowing it down um, after that. I think um, long-term, I, I think he's still got the stuff. I think when I look at st- pure stuff in the organization now, just with guys that are still rookies, I think he's definitely right up there with uh, Morahone, I mean, uh, with uh, Patino and Gore. Um, but, yeah, his fastball, I mean, 97, 98, um, he's got a you know a, a, a ton of off-speed pitches that he throws. Um, he, you know, I, I think having him only have to go through the lineup one time, um, I, I really actually think this is a really cool move. I think you know when you looked at what their bullpen has been, you mean Quantrill essentially worked as a reliever yesterday. You know, well he did, but I mean like they didn't have to go to Stan and they didn't have to go to like right. You know, when they had to go to like Wick or you know Winginter in the middle innings, and it's been kind of yeah you know, really hit or miss. I mean, Quantrill just was able to really shut the door. And it's like, you know, that move was really exciting for me. And I think that's somebody that um, the last part of the season, I think giving him those little short outings and getting him kind of acclimated to where next year he can come back and maybe be a guy that, you know, comes in and, and is one of the best five starters in camp. Uh, it's, it's a really exciting move for sure. Yeah. I mean, do you, I'm kind of getting the sense that they're bringing up more on like, like his stuff is so good that why waste his innings down in the minor leagues? We could just kind of slowly groove him, you know, over here instead of just slowly grooving him down in the minor leagues. I I guess that's kind of what they're doing. I mean, yeah, and I think a lot of it too is um, I think it's just <clears throat> as you see, this organization is going to give guys opportunities when they're ready, and I think there's something like I said. There's there's stuff that even when we ask them, they're, we're not necessarily even privy to it. Um, there's definitely boxes, you know, that he checked off for them, for them to, you know, make this move. 
Um, is he's an interesting one. Baez made a little bit more sense to me because Baez actually has to be added to the 40 man or had to be added to the 40 man, you know, to, to not go in the Rule 5 draft. Whereas Moron was signed when he was 18, so he didn't necessarily have to be. But I mean, I think, you know, when you look at, you know, options that they have, and there's not, it's, and starting pitching for in AAA, there's like absolutely nothing. Their, right. their whole rotation is, is yeah. organizational arms and journeymen. But, um, you know, to give him that kind of role to, to come out and, and just kind of get to the order one time and, and essentially function as a reliever and opener, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a path, not so much the opener thing, but giving guys, you know, that's how the Cardinals have broken most of their guys, using them as an example. Um, I really like it. I think, it, I think it's a good, and obviously, you know, when the teams lost, I think it was, what, seven out of eight, to start to have a break, you know, it, it generated a lot of excitement, which obviously I don't think they make moves to do that, but it's just kind of a byproduct of it for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it could work, you know, whether he starts the game or he comes in the fifth, sixth innings, whatever, for two innings, you know, if he's pitching every three, four days, I mean, just pitching two innings, I mean, it's better than fucking seeing Robbie Erlin or, you know, or Phil Maton. So, I mean, if that's how they're going to use him and, you know, they're not going to throw him out there for five, six innings, which there's no way they're going to do that because he wasn't doing that in the minors then I think it could work. I probably wouldn't have done it, but they know a lot more about it than I do. Uh, let's move to Michelle Baez. I'm, this one I'm more excited about, or not more excited about. It's I kind of I understand this one more than Morahan, because Baez, I mean, he, I think he looks great as a reliever. I would keep him down there as a reliever, and, I mean, his stuff is just electric. It's 96, 97, 98, the changeup, the curve. I mean, he's he's filthy, dude. I mean, you come next year or even this year, they could have they could have a really you know like you could be playing like a six inning game with how many relievers, how many good relievers they could have. What's your thoughts on him? Um, yeah, <clears throat> you know, I think his stuff definitely. I feel like plays better as a reliever. I think um, one of the things when he when he came out like when he, when we first saw him, well, I think it was. It had to have been 2017. Because that's when he came out with Fort Wayne. He was yeah. just like dominating. Yeah. And um, his stuff was like, he's throwing 98 as a starter. Um, his command was really good. His command, I guess, is, you know, there's a lot of, you know, and I, and I read all this stuff that I can where, um, you know, in terms of like, uh, what's it called? Like, uh, like Fangrass, I know, is kind of updated the command on him to like fringe average and all that. Um, you know, he doesn't have to have great command out of the bullpen what that what that army has. I mean, throws 97, 98. Um, he's got, a, you know, he's got three pitches. He's got a change up you know, and I think it's like a slider. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, they, I don't know if it's, he had back issues last year. And so, right. you know, he, he started in the Elsinore last year and was good. I mean, but you never really saw the like explosiveness. He was 93, 94, which is, you know, yeah. for a starter, it's pretty solid, but like, you know, having him having to just go back and, and, and come out in the bullpen and just fire off BBs. I mean, 97, 98 miles an hour. Um, I think he's going to be better suited for that. And I think, yeah, like, um, I think, again, I think his role, I, I, I'm curious what they're going to do with him, actually, because he wasn't doing the quote-unquote opener role, but he was going two, two, two innings every four days. Right. Uh, that's what he's doing. Every, three, every four days, two innings, two innings, two innings. Right. So I think maybe they do that again with him. You know, maybe you go Quant- you put Quantrill and Morahone together and you put Baez with another guy or you just have him – yeah, kind of like, serve that capacity. He's not going to be a traditional reliever, though. Like they're not going to. I don't 
I think what the way they've been setting it up is you're not going to see him come out and, and be like uh, like Stammen or Yates where they no. work back to back days. No. I think I could see him just being an opener, um, coming in in clean innings. I don't feel I don't think he got thrown in any situations. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. That's because you watch a lot of games too. Um, I don't think he ever came into a situation where he didn't have a clean inning. So I think that to me leads that he's going to be kind of an opener type as well. Yeah, but yeah. His stuff is out of the bullpen is nasty. Oh, it's it's filthy. Um, yeah, I could see him like piggybacking like Paddock. Like they want to throw Paddock just yeah, only four or five that's innings, a good call. and then just him. And then like you said, I'm going to get to Quantrill later. But like you said with Quantrill and Morahan, um, I mean maybe they just something like that. And then. You also got Logan Allen still on the team, right? He didn't get sent down, did he? No, he's still Yeah, up. so... They sent down um, Wingenter. So if they ever get in trouble with innings-wise, you know, instead of throwing Robbie Erland, they got Logan Allen. So I think they're going to be pretty... You know, the more I think about it, the more more sense it makes. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. I'm biased. You know, I mean, he's filthy. I love him. Let's talk about um, Francisco Mejia. I mean, he's starting to get some at-bats here and there. Um, the playing time, you know, getting up there. I think someone tweeted out the other day. That I could be wrong. Since he came back from the injury, you remember he had the he started off the team on the team and he wasn't playing that much. Um, it was he kind of was struggling, but I think ever since he came back, you know, when he went back down to AAA and then he came back from an injury, someone told or someone tweeted out that he was hitting like two sixty five, which was respectable. You know, it's a lot better than what we're getting out of the catcher position. What do you think of him, dude? Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, going back, I think it's funny because I feel like, um, this whole catcher situation, it kind of reminds me of like back in the day, like, I don't know when I was 10 years ago with, a you like team Edward or team Jacob with like the, with twilight. Uh, that's what it kind of reminds <laughs> me of. Cause you have people that are, that are team edges and you have yeah. people that are team here. You know, my thought process has always been with catchers, unless it's, um, Salvador Perez. I mean, most catchers aren't going to catch 145 you know games a year and so i think there's always room for them to maybe not a equal split but like i mean hedges or mejia is not going to catch five or six days a week so i think you know for my for my reason i think i can see why they went with hedges in the beginning of the season because every pitcher that i've ever talked to um you know that's had an opportunity to throw to him has praised him and and again you know they're not going to bash him on the record or anything like that but like you know, a guy like Chris Paddock, who's a pretty good interview, a pretty you know guy that's um, straightforward, not a not a not a cliche. Um, yeah, you know, he's not going to give a cliche answer for him to say. You know, I'm blessed to have him as my catcher. I think holds some weight. Um, however, I think um, you know when you look at the offensive production, I mean, at some point you have to look at it and say, you know, Hedges is what he is. Um, he's Jeff Mathis at this point in his career, which is not a bad thing. Um, you know, Hedges will easily play ten years in the major leagues, and um, you know, will will have a good career. He'll make plenty of money. But I think you have, when you have a guy like Mejia who has the offensive upside, has the bat speed that he has, who's a switch hitter, um, you have to give that guy a shot. And I think you know, being that the team is kind of more or less, you know, fallen out of contention, um, I think right now the smart play is, is to give Mejia the opportunity. And you still have Hedges there as a depth piece, but I think for me, Mejia, I, I like the bat speed and the fact that he's a, you know, he's a switch hitter. Um, his approach at times, and it's, it, he's getting better, but like the guy just hacks at everything. And you know, when you look at his strikeout numbers, the guy got to a lot of pitches in the minor leagues. He, he never 
posted, he was always below average in terms of K rate. And right. so at the big leagues, I don't have the numbers up in front of me, but I feel like his approach at times is just like, you know, just here's, I'm just going to swing at everything that comes. And, you know, if I hit it, I hit it. Um, I think his approach definitely needs to be refined, but I like what they're doing now is what they're, it seems like they're giving him about 60, 65% of the playing time and then 30, 35% to the hedges. I think that's the way to go. I think, you know, like I said, the hedges is a great catcher defensively. I think he, you know, the pitchers love him. I think he's a good leader. I think he's a, a great dude. But at the same time, I mean, unless this is like a stacked, the stacked New York Yankees or some, or some lineup, um, you can't have a guy hitting 180 with a whatever 230, 240 on base percentage in your lineup. You know, Mejia gives you some upside. Um, you know, I, I've often said, you know, I'm not even sure if he's the catcher of the future, but I think you got to find out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's what I would do. I would go at least this year 65-35 in, in Mejia, you know, playing more. And then come next year, you see what you do. But, I mean, to have two catchers, I think it, it benefits both of them. Instead of, you know, if you get a little more rest and you're playing less, I think you're going to be more productive. I mean, those guys have a tough job always catching and being on their knees. And, you know, that, that ain't easy. That's going to take its toll on a player. So Yeah, and I think, too, with catchers, I think when you talk to some of the guys that have that done it, it's, it's not just catching for nine innings and hitting. It's, you know, they, they do a lot of stuff with the pitchers. I mean, they're – you know, always with the pitchers and are developing game plans and writing right. and help writing scout reports and stuff. So, I mean, it's it's a really, it's a demanding job. And I think, yeah. you know, like I said, Hedges, like the, the hype on his defense is real. But I think, you know, if it wasn't Mejia and it was some other guy, I would live with Hedges' you know, wet paper back bat. But I think, you know, again, you got to go into 2020 if you're expecting, and I think they have to contend next year. Otherwise, you know, you're going to start to hear some rumblings in the organization. I think Preller's good, but, I mean, Andy Green is already kind of, you know, I wouldn't say he's on the hot seat yet, but I think, you know, in terms of the fan base, there's definitely, you know, some dissension there, and people aren't happy with him. So I think you have to win, and you have to find out, do we have a catcher, or do we need to go out? Is that, like, do we, you know, because even last year, like, they were talking about trying trading for Real Muto, and, you know, they, you got to find out what you have in Mejia, and you can't find out. What you have in it by getting him 180 at bats. So you've got to let him play and see see if that upside is there and see what you got in him. Yeah, I mean that's how I feel. Like I want to feel I want to feel much more comfortable going into next year with Mejia. Yes or no? Like I need I need to know is basically you know like you said do we need do we need a, a catcher or not? So I'm not saying whatever he does at the end of this season determines it, but it'll give you a better idea so that come next year. If we're at this time next year and he's still struggling, Mejia, then we need a catcher. But, but let's let's go on to um, Munoz, um, Andres Munoz, the the closer or you know reliever. Can you give your thoughts on him? I mean that guy's just, it's pretty easy to give your thoughts on. I mean he throws gas in a nasty slider, but I mean you've seen him probably more than most of these people have. So let me get your thoughts on him. I remember the first time I saw him when it was. Um at the Futures game or the on-deck game, whatever they call it. And, you know, we'd heard, you know, you heard about him and then he just comes out and the first pitch throws is like 101, 100, 101. It's like, damn. Um, I think the biggest difference this year is that slider has actually become, you know, something more than just that I'm going to throw, I have to throw this every 10th pitch or, I, you know, it's, I can throw it and get it over. It's got some bite to it. Um, he threw a couple of nasty ones. I think his big league debut, he threw one, 
Um, it just, I mean, the bottom just dropped out of it and just fell into the zone. Um, you know, he's, he's someone that like, uh, with his, you know, with that velocity, I think, you know, Sam Yeeney made a really good point on the, on Ben and Woods. I think it, they, I heard the interview today, but basically he's a guy that's only thrown like 50 or 60 innings in the, in the, in the, in the minors, um, out of the bullpen. And so he's someone that's still incredibly young, but like he, he's only got so many bullets. So, I mean, I like the fact that they brought him up and like, let's see what he's got. Because I mean, when you look at the, the way the bullpen's performed this year, it's been, it's been pretty bad. So, I mean, oh, yeah. um, his stuff awful. is, I mean, he's got closer stuff written all over him. And if not, I mean, next year, assuming they don't trade the eights, I mean, having that, you know, having that guy in the eighth inning, I mean, good luck. Right. Um, I think, the issue is, is he's going to have to make sure that he locates the fastball. His command goes all over the place. He's, you know, prone to walks. And I think, you know, if he's get if he's not locating that fastball, it doesn't matter if you throw 120 miles an hour. Guys are going to square it up. So I think um, having that slider, I think, will definitely help keep guys honest. And yeah, I, I think he's someone that should contribute out of this bullpen for the next several years. Yeah. He's 20 years old, and you know, I always like when they, you know, when they can bring up a dude that's like from Mexico because I feel like. You know, for me, it's it's kind of exciting because we you know we live close to Mexico. Like, it gets you know the fan base, and, you know, kind of hyped up. Um, you know, I think this team needs like if we can get a couple of really good players, you know, from Mexico and and kind of have that that pipeline going. Um, I think it's really exciting because I think it gets hopefully it gets you know gets people you know down there interested in the Padres because I feel like there's such a big opportunity just from a marketing standpoint. That's kind of off topic, but just from a, you know that standpoint of getting people hyped up about Padres baseball. Um, I think it's really cool. I love I love the Latin, you know, the international guys, the guys that come up here because it just adds another another like layer of just you know excitement. Absolutely. Um, I want to get your thoughts on Quantrill. I mean, I I was so down on him last year, and then at the beginning of this year, I mean, he was like ninety one, ninety two with no movement on his fastball, and he would just get smoked. Like his slider was pretty good, the changeup, but I'm like. Dude, if you can't establish your fastball and if people aren't afraid of your fastball, you're never going to be good. And I just, I guess I just jumped the gun on him because I didn't feel like I did because it had been so many years from the Tommy John. But now he's like 95 to 96 with movement. I mean, yesterday against Schwarber, the fastball, you know, tailed away and was beautiful. Jason Hayward, the same thing. I mean, he looks really good. What, what do you think of him? Um, I think with Ben Davey on our side, I think I've always been the high guy in Quantrill. Um, you know, I've had him ranked, I think, as high as second or third in some of the lists I've done. Um, you know, it's funny because I think last year is Keith Law or, or somebody, one of those like big nationalists, didn't even rank him in the top 30. Um, so I think the opinion was is that, you know, and, and when we saw him last year, you know, his fastball command just it wasn't there. Um, you know, at one point when John went to San Antonio, um, they had, I think, Logan Allen, uh, Quantrill, Paddock, and a couple other guys that Jacob I'm not Nicks. right now, but Jacob there's Nicks. some people saying that Quantrill is like the yeah, like he, he was a fourth or fifth best pitcher in the yeah, nation. He was, um, and, that, and this is a guy that was a number, yeah, and this is a guy that was the number one pick. I mean, I think the biggest difference is, I mean, I don't know if he's just did something in the offseason to get stronger, or if he just the fastball command kind of reestablished itself, you know, after the Tommy John. Um, which is actually funny because a lot of guys that I'm hearing now, I mean, are saying fastball command is actually better post Tommy John. So I don't know if he just, you know, everybody's experience is different, but I think he just looks like a different guy. Like you said, I mean, he's throwing harder. You know, I don't think he even threw 94, 95 
when he was in Elsinore, and he was that was you know the the best the most success he's had was yeah. in Elsinore in 2016. And yeah. I went I, I actually was at a start where he had uh, 12 strikeouts and struck out Jock Peterson and, and Logan Forsyth multiple times, um, and just was throwing all three all four of pitches with command. Um, I, yeah, I, I think the biggest difference, like you said, is the command and the, the velocity. I think his his fastball's got life. Um, you know, he's reestablished himself to where I think. A lot of people at this time last year were saying this guy's a French major leaguer, and it wasn't just like fans piling on. I mean, this was you know legitimate, you know places that you know that, that write about prospects. Right. And, you know he's he's whatever he's done. I mean, it's he's put himself right back. I think in the plans where he's definitely someone. I mean, that should you know obviously I think if they make a trade, he's not untouchable necessarily, but. He's definitely turned himself into a guy that, you know, you're like, okay, like that 2016 draft, I mean, with him and with Lauer and Lucchese and all those guys, I mean, that's franchise changing. And, you know, Quantrill could be the best starter out of, the, out of that mix. Yeah, he's, he's impressive. I mean, I was, he, he, you could basically say I was wrong on him, but, I mean, the stuff has changed. So it's just, it's, yeah, it's really nice to see. I've always, yeah, and I think with Quantrill, the thing I've always liked about him is just, um, he's, you know, it kind of, goes without saying but a dude from stanford is really intelligent um he's just the yeah. guy that i think has kind of a kind of a quiet intensity to him um you know he's just you know he's got a, a little bit of the red ass a little bit from what i've seen from him um so he's someone that just with makeup wise i think is has always been that's been one of his best attributes i think maybe you know and, and i think sometimes when they when guys struggle a little bit i think they learn about themselves and i think he's someone that saw something or did something and, and made some changes and then you know i think the padres are going to pay the dividends for it like uh you know he's a i think he's got a chance to be a really good mid-rotation guy yeah i did i did too i mean he's very impressive um i've totally changed you know i totally changed my thought on him so um let me get two guys in the minor leagues, and then I, I want to get your thoughts on some of the trade rumors. Um, everyone's talked about most of the main guys in the minor league, Patino and Gore. I mean, that's been talked about. But I, I want to talk about Camposuano and Edward Oliveras, if you could. Give me your thoughts yeah. on those two guys. Um, yeah, Camposuano, I think, um, could end up being the quote-unquote catch of the future. Um, he's making strides defensively. He's got a pretty good arm behind the plate. Um, but the dude is just hitting the crap out of the ball in Lake Elsinore. Um, you know, he's got power um, and play discipline. I think, you know, I don't, I think the last time I checked, which is about a week ago, he had the lowest K rate in the, in the California league. Oh, really? And yeah, like he's making contact. He, he's got a good approach at the plate. Um, you know, it's funny because he was a guy too that I feel like is getting more comfortable. Um, you know, there's been, there's, I, I've heard some things kind of about his personality and stuff, but, you know, I've talked to him a couple times this year, and, um, you know, the first time from the last time, or the last time from the first time, he's been a lot, just a lot more, seems like a lot more comfortable, a lot calmer, just seems like, a, you know, like he's getting more comfortable, and I think, um, you know, I, I think when you look at the ERAs of the, of the pitchers down there, I mean, it's not, everybody wants to talk about Gordon, everybody talks about Patino, but you guys, you got guys coming up, like, you know, Aaron Leisher and, and Reese Kinnear and Gabe Moser and the guys they've had in their bullpen, all of them are succeeding. And I think, obviously, yeah, it's just talent and good scouting. But, like, um, 
seeing a guy like uh, you know hit him and the way he's led, led the staff, I think that's pretty impressive too. I think everybody wants to give Hedges that credit. I right. mean, Campy Sano, I think deserves a lot of credit for what he's done, but like the guy can absolutely hit. Um, and I think when you look at this day and age of contact or lack of contact being kind of acceptable, you know, I'm 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 progressive thinking in a lot of ways with baseball, but like. You know, I still miss the days of when I was a kid where, you know, if a guy struck out 15% of the time, he sucked. Right. You know, you <laughs> no. know it's like 25, 30 is okay. No. You know, I like seeing guys make contact and not give away a bat. So I think seeing seeing him do that and in a league this year where the Cal League has not really been a hitter's league. I mean, Lake Elsinore is a pitcher's park. And for him to do what he's doing, I think he's hitting 320, had a couple hits tonight. Um, he's getting on base. He's got some power. Um, isn't necessarily hitting a ton of home runs, but it's just you know I mean, that could a couple come of in this year where his exit velocity off the bat is just just insane. Yeah, um, I love. I, I think right now he's a top ten prospect in the system. Um, I don't. We don't do mid mid, mid season lists in Matt Fires, um, but um, I have a feeling, barring something unforeseen, spoiler, he'll definitely be in my top ten. Sweet, I love the guy. Good hitter. Yeah, and then um, what about Edward Olivares? Because he's been really yeah, hot lately. Oh, yeah, he's been another guy. I mean, again, one of the things, like, I, I think just to kind of what I look, what I like to look at, um, in, when we do our prospect list, David J has a good quote where it's like, uh, you know, the, the list tells you more about the individual who writes the list than the actual player. Um, one of the things that I that I like to look at is guys that make contact. Um, and so Oliveris, I think, since, since the All-Star break, is only striking out about, I think, 15% of his at-bats or maybe even less than that, something like that in the low teens, low to mid-teens, which, you know, since the All-Star break, you know, he's got about eight or nine home runs. Um, he hit one the other night um, off the batter's eye, um, which, you know, Amarillo's played as a, as a hitter's park so far, but yeah, I mean, big, the dude took a dead center off the, off the batter's eye. <laughs> Freaking clobber the ball. Um, you know, I, I think his speed, you know, makes him, you know, a really interesting guy. Um you know, the, the corner outfield is, you know, in general, I mean, he hasn't played a lot of center with, with Buddy Reed being out there. Um, and they've played um, uh, Orozco, who they got for Socrates Brito. Um, so those guys have mostly handled center. So, I mean, he's basically a corner outfielder playing right and left. But, um, you know, obviously on the big league roster, I mean, barring a trade, those, those spots are, are taken. But I think he's another guy that, you know, he's got speed, he's got some power. Um, Again, having a guy that is having good at bats and is not striking out thirty percent of the time, I feel like that translates well to the next level. And so I think he's a guy that has a chance. He's already on the forty man roster, so maybe he gets a, an opportunity in September. I think this is the last year that I think they still have expanded rosters in September. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I know it's definitely out next year, but I mean, he's a guy that should get a look. Um, and I think if they're going to make a trade and trade for you know Syndergaard or one of these other guys, I think. He's someone that an organization has some interest in. I mean, you know, impressive power with good speed and athleticism with low Ks um, and a good walk rate. Yeah, that's that's an attractive an attractive player. Yeah, he's definitely caught, caught my eye this year, you know, watching the double-A games. Mine and, too. I mean, yeah. I barely ranked him in my top 30. I mean, he was at the tail end of it. And I think, you know, he's surpassed a lot of guys ahead of him. I mean, he's been better than Buddy Reed. Yeah, you know, oh, definitely. He's been, you know, He's been better than a couple of the other guys that have kind of, you know, have trailed off a little bit. But yeah, he's. I think when you if you took like the Padres like 
top five risers in the system, um, he has to be in that top five. I mean, you know, you could get like, you know, there's other guys you could put in there, but I mean, he's firmly in that, in that grass. Absolutely. You know, if he was like a stock, you'd want to buy it right now. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about the trade rumors. Um, are you in it? Like, what do you think of Bauer and, and Senegar? Do you think they should go for those two? One of them? Or what do you think? Um, I don't know. Um, I, I've, so, you know, I'm a self-professed, you know, or self-proclaimed trans- transaction junkie. Like, I love trades and trade rumors and signings and all that stuff. So I think just from that standpoint, like, you know, inside I'm like, ooh, like, I, I want to see them make a move and you know, get some publicity and, and be talked about in MLB Network and have little talking heads, like, go, hey, like, the Padres are, you know, here we come. Um, conversely, I think, you know, there's just things about both those guys that are a little bit, you know, a little bit of, I guess there's negatives. I mean, Bauer only has one year of control, and I don't think you're going to, you know, they could extend him, but if a guy like Tim is going to sign a one-year contract, I mean, it's not inconceivable for him to, you know, want one year, 30, 35 million, right. which I think probably puts him out of their price range. Right. Uh, you know, and then Syndergaard hasn't been that good this year, at least, you know, I, I haven't seen, seen a pitch, but like, you know, the numbers don't look super encouraging. I think, you know, I haven't looked at his secondary stats. I know his ERA is a little bit high, and that's not the, the best way to evaluate a guy. But, uh, you know, ultimately it comes down to what is it what is it going to cost? Right. Um, can we get – can they? Can the Padres get Bauer without giving up Gore Patino? Um, if the answer to that question is yeah, then okay, maybe you have my interest. Um, if it's going to cost me Patino and – let's say, um, you know, like Logan Allen or somebody who's on the big league roster, I mean, I might have a little bit more apprehension with that. Um, it, it honestly just depends on what the cost is. I think um, if, like, you know, Syndergaard, let's say, is costing Urias and two other top guys, that's, you know, that's a hard sell for me. But I think, I don't think that they're going to, like, overpay in a deal. I think... They have a good indication of who their guys are and who's expendable and who's not. And I think ultimately, you know, they should make a move if it makes sense. Um, I'm not, I, and maybe it's because you know I I do this, you know, for Mad Fires and I've you know interviewed a lot of these guys. Maybe I'm biased in some way, but like I just don't feel like you should kind of quote unquote, you know blow your prospect load all on one guy. I think if they have to give up four or five good guys that are close to being big league ready, I'd have a problem with that. If it's guys that they can maybe sell them on a, on a package where like, hey, you can build around an Oliveris and maybe, I mean, you got to give up. If you're going to get either one of those guys, you got to give up one of your top five or six guys. But if you can build it maybe with one of those guys and like three or four guys kind of in that, you know, that 15 to 20 range. Yeah. Then yeah, I, I think if it makes sense. I mean, do I want to trade Patini or am I trading Gore? Gore's 100 percent untouchable. I'm right, not right. They're not trading Gore. Um, can I get? Can I? Can I get it? Can Can Patino? Can that deal be done without Patino? Hopefully. Um, but yeah, I think it all, honestly, it's just it's all risk reward. I mean, I I would trade I would trade Mackenzie Gore tomorrow if it meant I was getting back Mike Trout. But you know, right. Um, that's not on the table. So it's like it just depends on what I'm getting back and and all that. But yeah, it, it's fun to talk about, but. Uh, you know, we were kind of talking about this, um, 
and it was, it was just more about like, you know, we, we just want to talk about, you know, we just want to see the other moves that can be made. Um, and you know, it's, it's fun to talk about though, for sure. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of this? This is my thinking that Preller might be doing. If he trades for Thor, let's just say he trades for Syndergaard. I, I think he's going to have another deal already set up by trading Yates. And what I mean by that is, let's say he gives Urias as the main main piece in the Syndergaard deal. I think he's going to have the Yates trade, you know, agreed upon that he's going to get like a second baseman coming back. Do you think maybe that he's thinking, you know, a matchup with like two trades? Like I'm buying on one and I'm selling on another, but I'm... Do you, you kind of understand what I mean? That's like... <laughs> You just remind every time somebody talks about that, it reminds me of like when I was a kid listening to Hacks. I was like, "This is the front end of another deal." Like, <laughs> um, maybe I mean I, I think it's funny, and that's what I kind of like about AJ Preller is like every time I feel like I he's already got like another after, step figured out. You yeah, know? he's already like three steps ahead of me. He's like, right. Oh, so I think that's why he's obviously. I mean, he's smarter than me clearly, but um, yeah, I think it's conceivable. I think you know my whole thing with Yates, and I know. There are a lot of people that want to want the Padres to trade him, and I'm more of like, hey, hey, we, you know, my thing is like, I'll trade anybody depending on what the return is. Sure. Um, but with Yates, I think you're if you want to contend, you need a closer, and you have a closer locked up to an affordable one year deal. So that's why you got to look at Yates. I mean, he's he's locked up to a one year deal next year. Uh, we don't know what the price tag is yet. You know, it depends on what you know he gets through arbitration or you know what they sign him for, but. If you trade Yates, I mean, who are you going to have close? And I think, you know, if they, but if they can get legitimate, like you said, if, if they trade Urias in a deal for Syndergaard and they turn around and, and they can trade Yates and get back, you know, whomever to play second base or whomever to play center field, then yeah, I'm exploring that for sure. I think you'd be stupid not to. But I mean, if it were me, unless it was like a perfect deal, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't move Yates. Um, but it would be kind of fun to see them just make like a flurry of deals where I think other people we've talked about, it's like we'll trade. You know, somebody for more prospects, and then use those prospects to go buy another player. I think that could be a scenario too, because I mean, you figure Yates. I mean, if if Brad Hand and, and uh, what's the other guy, Simber brought yeah. back Mejia, who I think at the time was what a top fifteen, top twenty player. Yeah, top then twenty. It's yeah, not out of the question. Yeah, to think that Yates could bring back at least, definitely at least one one top one hundred guy, um, and maybe a, a second or you know third piece back so sure. um, I think if it makes sense yeah I think you gotta explore everything maybe yeah. stupid not to um, and what do you think of Reyes and Renfro do you, do you feel like they gotta get rid of one or the other I, I'm in the camp that I would let it play it out at least one more year I don't feel like they need to get rid of one or the other it feels like it seems like the organization's leaning that way I mean Reyes is only 23 I mean he sucks defensively he's awful obviously he should be a DH but He's only 23 years old, and Renfro's improved so much defensively. Neither one of them hits with runners in scoring position or on, but, you know, Ray, again, Reyes is only 23. Maybe in two years he's smashing with runners on. I don't know. What, what, what do you yeah. think? I think ultimately, again, what it comes back to is there's a difference between, like, trading a guy because you have to and trading a guy because, like, you can yeah. explore it. Yeah. Um, I think there's room for both of them. I mean, I think especially with – You've taken the taken the or with Renfro taking the leap that he has defensively. I mean, that makes all the difference in the world because you're, what we were basically saying last year is that both of them are really shitty in the outfield, and 
their liabilities there. Well, you know, Framiel isn't great out there, but he, I don't think he's got off one, and Renfro has turned himself into an above-average defensive outfielder. So I think you can absolutely have them coexist. Um, the issue comes back to you is now what do you do with Will Myers? Um, you know, he's – I know that he's basically at this point is you have to kind of look at it as it's, it's a sunk cost. But, I mean, the guy's making $20 million a year next year for the next – I think it's the next three years. So, I mean, can the Padres afford having 20% of their of their payroll as a guy who doesn't contribute? Obviously, you're, you're going to take the best guys, you know, and, 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 go, and fill the roster from that. Um, again, if, if I can move Renfro or move Reyes in a deal that makes me better and it gets me help at another position and – you know, and again, they still have corner outfield depth even behind them. And you know, you figure you still have, you know, I still feel like Myers can be useful. I don't think he's as bad. I don't know what his issue is. I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know if he's just mentally just fried. But again, like you said, we have you have Olivares in the pipeline. Um, you have Jankowski. Um, you have Margot. You have other outfielders. And I think you know, if you're looking at the free agent market, like corner outfield is like not that difficult to fill. So. Um, I think at the end of the day, what they need to do is just make the best deal that makes the most sense. But, I mean, I don't feel like they have to trade either one of those guys. And that was a long-winded answer, but um, yeah, no, I think fine. they can definitely coexist. And, you know, I'm like I said, I'm more for playing it out. But, I mean, if, you know, the Padres really want that ace and, you know, let's say the Mets are like, yeah, we really want Renfro. And it means if we if you give us Renfro, you don't have to give up Patino. And I really want that. And I really want Syndergaard. Then I'm, I'm making that deal. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. I'll just finish with the last uh, thought. What are you, What are your thoughts on Andy Green? Uh, you know, I go back and forth. Um, I'm not a big fire the manager guy, um, just because I feel like a lot of it's a knee jerk reaction, and I don't know how much impact in baseball these days a manager actually has. Um, I know there was some complaining last year the whole fortnight nonsense um and a lot of people were just kind of anti andy green more or less but um i'm on the fence i think i I was under the impression or my my thought on it this year you have to give him this entire year um because every year that he's been a manager in the big leagues this organization has actively tried to lose yeah i know Um, they've given (laughs) i mean look at some of the rosters they had in 2015 or 2016 (laughs) 2017 and even into last year and so this year i think the culture overall and the chemistry of the club is is really good right now you see the guys joking around and having fun now maybe that's more of a byproduct of like guys like hosmer and machado leading leading you know the way on that but i think i don't feel like i think i feel like they're still playing hard um i still feel like guys are going out there and, and improving margot has made improvements um, you know, you've seen the pitching staff come together. Um, he's done some really weird things with the bullpen at times. But, I mean, overall, I don't think he's done as bad a job as people want to say he is. Um, at the same time, I mean, the way I look at it is um, if they decide that they need to go out and get a veteran manager, I mean, you know, if whether that's Joe Girardi or Bruce Bochy or whomever, um, I think that could be a possibility. But I don't really – I know a lot of people like Barajas and – um, a lot of people have talked about Moises Alou, but like those are both guys that don't have experience. Right. And so right. I don't know if that's an upgrade over Andy Green, but I, I get where people are coming from on Andy Green. I just, my whole thing is like, I, when you 
start saying fire, 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 I think like there's to me there's no turning back from that. And I think this team has shown the ability. I think they've played about as well as they can this year, and I think um, this roster is flawed to begin with. But I don't feel like he's done a horrible job by any means at all. Um, I don't think he's done a great job. I mean, I think I'm just kind of indifferent to be honest. Yeah. Um, if I had, I, w- I would definitely not fire him. But I mean, again, he's got. I think he's signed through 2021. So if you think if you're if there's any apprehension that he's not the guy to lead this team to the playoffs, then I think internally you have to kind of make a decision in the offseason. I mean, I don't think he makes a ton of money, so eating two years of it, I don't think eating his contract is an issue at this point. I mean, you have to decide whether or not he's the guy or not. And I think if you do that in the off season. I don't feel like firing him in season and replacing him with Barajas does you any good, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you mostly on that. All right, Kevin, thanks a lot for coming on. Um, everyone go to Mad Friars, subscribe. Was it like five bucks a month or something? They do good five stuff. Five bucks a month. Five that's, bucks. That's a coffee. That's that's a beer. That's like thirty five percent of a beer at Peco Park. So <laughs> um, it's cheap. Um, and then again, it's not like anybody's getting rich off the site. Like I always tell people, it's you know, you're helping fund us directly. Um, we don't have a ton of like we don't have like corporate sponsors or anything like that. Um, so we're just you know, it's an independent site now, and we're not backed by Scout like we used to be. So um, hopefully, people will check it out. And if you don't you subscribe. Uh, it, you know, at least go on there every day and check out the reports that are free. Um, you know, those part things we do every single day. I don't think we, we have not missed a day in four or five years um, since I've been writing for it. So at least the very least you get that. And, you know, even that should support enough. I get it. I mean, money's tight. But if you if you can spare it, go ahead and do it. It would be really appreciated. All righty, dude. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, for sure. All right. Till the next time, dude. Peace out. All righty, that's the end of the podcast, but I'll stick around for the Periscope. All righty, guys.